Welcome to 45 Forward, the beginning of the rest of your life. Each week, host Ron Roel and his guests discuss topics of interest to many listeners in their 40s and beyond, including retirement, caring for aging parents, health, lifestyle, and more. It's time to think ahead to the next half of your life, and we'll help you plan it with ease. Now, here is Ron Roel. Welcome, everyone, to another edition of 45 Forward, where our mission is to help you, our listeners, from Los Angeles to Long Island, age successfully, making your second half of life even better than the first. Today, we'll be talking with Donna Butts, the Executive Director of Generations United, a nonprofit organization whose mission is to improve the lives of children, youth, and older people through intergenerational collaboration. Now, we often hear the mantra, stronger together, but no one understands the power of these words better than Donna Butts. They apply to much more than helping our communities survive the pandemic or dealing with natural disasters or coping with tragic events. It is a philosophy of how we address some of life's most challenging problems, and more importantly, how we devise strategies to solve these problems. In her current leadership role at Generations United and several organizations before Generations United, Donna has worked tirelessly to promote the collective well-being of all generations around the world for more than 30 years. It's an ambitious and inspiring goal, and not an easy one. How do we achieve this at a time when different generations often seem pitted against each other, increasingly competing for limited funds and resources? In our conversation today, Donna will tackle the question head-on, providing examples of unique initiatives like the National Center on Grand Families, practical approaches to shared sites, where children, youth, and older adults participate in programs on the same location. And she'll tell you about unique programs of distinction created by organizations around the country, what it takes to be recognized as one of the best intergenerational communities in the nation, and provide an array of resources available to learn more about how to get involved in multi-generational efforts. So today, on International Women's Day, it's my pleasure to introduce you to an extraordinary woman, Donna Butts, who has been recognized as one of the most influential nonprofit executives in the United States and one of the top 50 influencers in aging. So Donna Butts, welcome to the show. Ron, thank you. It's a pleasure to be with you. I appreciate the invitation to have a conversation with you. No, it's great to have you. And so, so Donna, you and I have known each other for some time. Uh, you know, I was the editor of the Act Two retirement planning section in Newsday for some time for people 50 and older. But what I discovered in the process of my tenure there was the more I talked about senior issues, the more it became clear that what we were talking about were multi-generational issues. You can't really deal with an older population without understanding how the generations um, relate to one another and how they support and can, uh, you know, basically um, become part of a, a seamless continuum. So, uh, what, for our listeners, why don't you talk a little bit about, about how you do this? Because I know it's not that easy. It's a great concept, but it's not easy to operationalize. So, why don't you talk a little bit about Generations United, about its mission and vision and how the organization works? Ron, you're so right. We can't look at any generation in isolation. We really are interdependent. We need each other and we thrive when we're together. So the mission of Generations United, we were founded well over 30 years ago when people were trying to pit the generations against each other, as you mentioned. There was actually a cover of a journal back then that had an older person and a younger person in battle fatigues. They were back, they were back to back, and each of them had a gun. And basically, the message was, march 10 paces, turn and shoot. 
whichever generation is left gets our country's scarce resources. Because people were trying to say that we couldn't support our most vulnerable and valuable generations, our bookend generations that hold our civil society together. And it was really a false choice between younger and older. So the leading aging children and youth organizations came together and they formed a coalition, uh, a united front. And basically, as Jack Osofsky, one of our founders said, we formed Generations United to argue for a caring society, to argue for a caring society that valued our young, our old, and everyone in between. So to this day, our mission is to promote programs and public policies that connect generations and that value people's strength at every age and every ability of life. Great. Thank you for that. Yeah. And how about yourself personally? How did you, how did your passion evolve in this area? I know you've worked in several organizations that dealt with these issues, but tell us a little bit about yourself as to how, what motivates you and, and your passion. You know, I was thinking about that uh, when talking about your show, which I think is wonderful, 45 Forward, uh, because I realized it's almost like my life has been in these 20-year increments. I was in my early 20s when I directed my first intergenerational program, and I was working with teenagers at the YWCA in Salem, Oregon. And one of the programs I inherited was one that matched high school sociology students for one-on-one friendly visit programs with older adults who were still in their own homes uh, and in lower-income senior housing. And what I found when I took over that program, I thought, well, you know, I've always worked with teenagers and I'll continue to work with teenagers. I don't know what the value is of this program. But what I found immediately were teenagers that skipped school except for the day that they were going to see their older friend. And older adults that didn't get out of bed or open their curtains except for the day that their younger friend was coming to visit them. And what I saw was that power of purpose, that power that each generation found when they felt like they were needed, when they were valued for who they were, and when they saw each other for who they were. So I realized immediately that we couldn't stop that program. We needed to keep it going, and we did. So then fast forward to probably about 20, not quite 20 years later, when I was, had been working with teenagers for many years, and I was thinking about what was next. And I had an opportunity to talk with a gentleman named David Lederman, who was one of the founders of Generations United. And we were talking about what's next, what's next in my life. And at that point, they had just launched Generations United from a loose-knit coalition to an actual nonprofit organization. And after some interviewing and discussion, I was hired as the executive director about 23 years ago. And I feel like it brought my life together, the parts of my life, and that what I really wanted to do was to create a world that I wanted to grow old in. And I've managed to do that, at least the growing old part. (laughs) Right, right. Growing old while staying young, right? I mean, I think uh, somebody mentioned to me that that you were, you know, part of your perspective of multiple generations and recognizing the strength and wisdom and, and energy. So, I mean, usually you think about, you know, the, uh, the energy of younger generations and the wisdom of older generations. But I think increasingly we're seeing as, as we stay healthier longer and as we get smarter younger, that it's basically both the energy and the wisdom, but the energy of older people is greater and the wisdom of younger people is also greater. So it's an interesting you know, collaborative uh, growth, if you will, over the generations. 
I think it's a really good point, Ron, because so oftentimes people will think about, oh, isn't it wonderful that older adults are volunteering with the younger generation? Or isn't it great that younger uh, younger people are spending time with older adults? Uh, but in fact, intergenerational relationships, programs, policy, it's all reciprocal. We give and we receive. And it's realizing that we have uniquenesses that everyone does. Wisdom isn't just confined to a particular age. Energy isn't just confined to a particular age. Uh, and it's realizing people in their entire lifespan um, are, are unique and valuable. Right, right. So why don't we dive a little bit into some of the specifics of, of your organization? Um, um, I, I noticed looking at uh, your website that there are, there are certain approaches that are they're really, um, well, they're general, but they're, they're targeted. So the intergenerational approaches that create economic growth, that are designed to meet the needs of generations through legislation, um, providing resources that connect the generations. Why don't you, you know, talk a little bit about that, about, you know, in what specific ways um, do you, does the organization see these kinds of programs contributing to economic growth? Well, I think the economic growth piece is really important because what people don't think about is I had an opportunity a couple of years ago to talk to the, um, the board at the Federal Reserve. And I wanted to make sure that I took this concept that so many people think of as soft and put it in terms that they would understand. So we did some calculation in terms of the human capital that there is in older adults in our country. And it's really pretty phenomenal when you think about how much time older adults who aren't asked to contribute or be engaged, how much time is wasted. And if we, if older adults would give just a, a small amount of that time uh, to engage in, in community, every year it would equal about a little over $2 billion in wow. new human capital asset. And when we think about young people that we sit on the sidelines as well, if we, if we realize that it's not just nice, it's necessary that our country and our communities, our neighborhoods need everyone to be present, need everyone to be involved. And that frees up a lot of, of human capital and, and economic return. Also, we know that older adults who are involved in intergenerational programs take better care of themselves. They report feeling healthier. They're more optimistic. Um, they're more active. And so when you think about the economic value versus us just focusing on what I always call the three, pill, the three P's, pain, pills, and passing, wow. you know, what hurts, what medication you're on and who died, but actually thinking about life, there, again, is a lot of economic value in allowing people uh, to continue to contribute and to inspire them to stay healthy. It's just better for our communities. Right. Right. Yeah, I know there's been a lot of talk recently about sort of social connectedness um, and, and isolation during the pandemic. And I think that this is, you know, so this is, you know, the connection really does lead to healthier and better lives. Um, I remember talking to him some time ago about this organization, Durot, in, in New York City, um, which, you know, connects um, younger folks to older uh, isolated people and it's not you know it's strictly friendship and exchange of um, whether it's going for walks or you know cooking meals together you know and it's it's just a, you know a tremendous you know energy release for both sides you know i think that people are getting it that yes it's true that friendship is often you know by peer cohorts but you can cross generations and and uh 
you know, create incredible relationships that, you know, sustain both, both generations or multiple generations, not both, multiple generations. It's so true. And the example that you just gave is one of my favorite, most powerful programs, which is DeRote. They have, they've been around for a long time. And when I think about the, the intergenerational programs and how they've pivoted and adjusted during COVID, DeRote has done a phenomenal job of making sure that they're, they've kept those connections going and expanded those connections. I remember hearing a young woman uh, who was a bartender in New York. She moved to New York and left her family behind, really missed having her grandparents and having other relationships. And so she reached out to DeRote. They connected her with a woman who was living alone, very isolated, who had really lost the spirit and spunk in her life. And they started to visit each other. And so the young woman talked about how much she enjoyed her meals, her connection with the older adult. The older woman said, you gave me back my life. I listen to my music now. I cook my food. I eat my food and I taste it. Uh, So there is something that's just very powerful in some of the simple things we can do. Right. Great. Now, you also work on many different levels, and I know that you're very active from a policy perspective as well, which I think is also important to uh, working with legislation and so forth. Talk a little about that, about, you know, how you've been involved with, um, you know, various pieces of legislation federally, but also on state levels. Well, we are based in Washington, D.C., and we're national and international, but because we're in Washington, D.C., and uh, very involved uh, here in federal policy. It's a it's an important priority for us. In a lot of ways, we're that voice that's here in D.C. And we're very proud of some of the work we've done, specifically the work that we've done to gain support and interest and programs that are supportive of grandparents and other relatives raising children, what we call grand families. Right. We're very, very, very pleased with the progress that we've made in the last 20 years on supports uh, for grand families, as well as recognition that they deserve. But another area where we've been successful is trying to include intergenerational language where it needs to be included, whether it's a school program and you're thinking about how older adults can be the volunteers in an education program, but specifically more recently in the Older Americans Act and the reauthorization of the Older Americans Act, thanks to some really important champions on Capitol Hill, we were able to include language that gives preference to multi-generational programs that engage younger and older people together. Uh, And we're hopeful that as some of the uh, some things are moving on the hill now, that there'll actually be some funding available to support those programs. But I do believe that a program might come and go. When it's in a policy, it's much more likely to stay. So we do focus federally, but we also focus, as you said, in helping states and local governments realize how to use that intergenerational lens to strengthen a policy, to strengthen an opportunity by thinking about how all generations can use the strength and also the the abilities to strengthen their their community and their families and their states and their country. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, I think that um, it's... It's not always easy to do because I do think we compartmentalize things. You know, I think that even in Congress, you know, you have a, you know, select committee on aging and you have, you know, so you, 
you break it up that way, which makes it difficult because then what happens is that it, it comes down to money. How do you fund these things? And well, this is a senior issue or, you know, so it, it's tricky sometimes to, to get uh, the appropriate kind of funding that incorporates your vision. Are there things that you do to, to address that problem? Well, it, you know, you're really right that one of the problems, one of the reasons why we've segregated the genera- generation so much is because we've broken things into age-segregated silos. So whether it's a committee, whether it's a funding stream. And so what we really look at is how do we braid those? How do we break down those barriers, those silos? How do we, if we take, um, if we take some funding from aging and some funding from children and youth and we mix that, how we can support some of these uh, these these programs, and there are a number of ways that that we've seen uh, that that can be done, but it is breaking down those silos, not to go backwards, but to go forwards, because that's what makes us stronger. Right, right. Um, you know, we're going to take a break shortly, but when we come back, I want to talk about some specific examples um, that that the programs of distinction that. Uh, the, uh, the organization has uh, essentially supported and some of the best uh, intergenerational communities. I want to tell you, I'm going to tell a story about one of them that I had a conversation after I attended one of your conferences, which was really uh, eye-opening and inspiring. You know, you had all these 25, um, you know, best intergenerational communities, um, you know, assembled in, in one room and it was eye-opening and it was really, it was a terrific presentation. And, um, uh, when we get back, I'm going to talk about one specific example I wanted to mention, uh, and then we'll, we'll uh, continue with our conversation. So, folks, uh, don't go away. We'll be back shortly after a break with much more from Donna Butts, Generations United. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. A brave heart is anyone with the courage to be of service to others. If you have that courage, then Brave Hearts Radio with Brian Reinbold is for you. Even if you aren't yet, you'll want to still tune in to get inspired, create your own story to share, and change your life for the better. Listen to the stories of service and courage shared by amazing guests and your input, too. Listen for Brave Hearts Radio, Mondays at 4 p.m. Eastern Time and 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Remember, doing good anywhere does good everywhere. Want to play the ponies and win? At Winning Ponies, we go inside and behind the scenes with the top jockeys, trainers, and handicappers. The Winning Ponies Radio Show with John Inglehart, racing's regular guy, is the perfect complement to the Winning Ponies handicapping website. Catch us live every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Variety Channel. Win prizes just for calling in. You are listening to 45 Forward. To reach Ron Roel or his guest on the program, please send an email to ron.roel at gmail.com. That's ron.roel at gmail.com. Now back to 45 Forward. Welcome back, folks, to 45 Forward, where we're talking with Donna Butts, the Executive Director of Generations United, about how to improve the lives of children, youth, and older people through intergenerational collaboration. So before the breakdown, I, I mentioned that I was going to talk about one of 
uh, your communities of distinction. Actually, one of the one in the previous years, one of the best generational intergenerational communities. And um, it was one of these interesting experiences where I was at your, one of your events in Washington, and um, there were several of them who were speaking. And I decided, well, I'm going to you know call up one of these communities and 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 talk with them and uh, feature them uh, on my website, Robo Resources, about how this how this is accomplished. And so I called up, um, you know, um, and, and very interestingly, the community that I picked was Parkland, Florida. And this was, this was several years before yeah. that, that tragedy. Um, and so I called the mayor and we had a chat and I said, listen, what do you, what, what do you mean that, you know, how do you, how do you make your policies multi-generational? How do you do that? And so he, he sort of indicated what you've been saying, which is, well, you have to start at the beginning. So he said, when I meet with the, um, the city council and we decide on policies or regulations or policies, the first thing we do is we say, well, how can we frame this in a way that benefits the most people in the most generations? And so obviously you can create, look at other policies and practices and try to ret- retrofit them. But I thought that was really interesting and it really, you know, shows that you do need to sort of get, a, get out ahead of it and plan, but that it can be done. And I don't, you know, I found it interesting after the tragedy um, that people were, <clears throat> were commenting about the resilience of this community and basically the maturity of the, the young people and how people were stepping up. And, I, you know, I can't, you know, create a causality of, of association or anything, but I, I couldn't help thinking at the time, Donna, that the way this community treated all generations had some sort of impact on the way they handled the crisis. I think that's so powerful, Ron, because you're right. They were a community that already expressed the value for each generation and thought about it through that lens. And when you have a tragedy like that, What's, what's been interesting to me is with, with tragedy is that almost always younger people reach out to somebody who's older, somebody who's had more experience to know that we will get through this, that we will survive this. Um, think about the pandemic we're in right now. Right. Uh, you know, older adults have more experience having lived through um, diseases before we had cures and you know some of the things that we've had to survive. And when there's a tragedy... It's that knowing that we're going to continue. So Parkland, I mean, you can tell also that they elevated and believed in the strength and the value of youth voices. When you think about the youth movement that emerged from that, uh, they were young people that knew that they had a voice. They knew that they were valued. So I think it's really important that we live this every day in order to be prepared for the good things that come and the things that are more difficult for us. Right, right. Now, uh, some of your other programs include looking, uh, taking a really strong focus on multi-generational households. Um, you know, talk about that a little bit, about the, the trend in general. I know that sort of fits into the Grand Families Initiative as well. But talk about you know, what the importance is of, of recognizing this trend. Well, multi-generational households have been on the rise. And I'm very excited uh, to, to share with you that we have a new report on multi-generational families that's coming out April 1st. 
we were able to do another national survey of the families and do kind of an, an update on what we were hearing from them because it had been 10 years since we released our first report. Uh, so we, we began really looking at the families and talking to the families uh, about 10 years ago during the Great Recession as Pew and other groups were noticing the numbers increase. Now, most people said once our economy recovered, that they thought the number of multi-generational households would go down, but they didn't. They stayed even, and they actually continued to increase. And what I've said is families may have come together by need. They stayed together by choice. They found out it worked, it helped, that it made it a, a better situation for one or all member or all the members of the family. And that's what we're hearing today, that with the pandemic, we've seen another big jump in multi-generational households, and we think it's here to stay. Uh, and when you think about it, it's how our country was built. It's how we used to live. And then, for various reasons, families started to separate. So again, it's not going back to how things were. It's going forward and realizing that we need to respect and support the choices and the choice to live in a multi-generational family because it's it's a strength-based situation. It's not something to be pitied, which a lot of people seem to think that we should feel sorry because they can't live on their own, whereas they're actually doing much better and thriving because they're together. Right, right. Yeah, it's 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 sort of what I call, you know, a back to the future phenomenon. But as you said, it's not exactly just going back to the way it was. There there, it's going forward with a different kind of permutation. I mean, I think that, you know, it, things change because, you know, we have sort of a, uh, you know, a technocratic society. We tend to be specialized. So we, it's like, okay, we had, I grew up in this family, but now I've got my family. So I moved move to my space, you know? And, um, and then also I think, you know, the mobility of families, you know, to be, the ability to move and the, uh, the growth of two income families. So that you had a little bit more independence, but I think that, you know, as you said, I think that the pandemic has, has changed some of the, the dynamics. Um, and I think um, in, in a similar way that, you know, by, by pushing this away and forcing us to meet virtually, some things have arisen about how we can be more inclusive in terms of, of reaching out to people. But also, I think, you know, having um, older and younger people uh, siblings uh, in a household together for a longer period of time or at a time when, uh, at least when I was in, you know, after college, um, left the nest. Uh, but when you come back and you're an adult living with your older adult parents, there it's it's not always easy <laughs> when you're used to independence. But, but I think you learn something from you, you know, about having a relationship with adult to adult that is, you know, really productive and kind of enlightening. But, and I think we kind of lost that a little bit by, by sending our kids off and going to college and then and never come home. You know, it's interesting because I'm from a generation that I could hardly wait to get out of my parents' house. I was always, that was always the goal, get out as soon as you can, stay away. And what I hear more and more today is that the younger people actually like their parents and their parents' friends and their parents like them. And so it's, it's, it's a, they, there's that, that situation. But it's also, I, I always try to 
say it's, it, I don't want to be, a, I'm not a Pollyanna about this because it's not for every family right. um, any more than, than anything is for everyone. You know, we're all different and unique. So it's not for everyone. And there is stress associated with it, but it does work for a lot of families, uh, whether it is forever or f- to bridge a particular time in life. Uh, and we should be supportive and celebrate that, uh, that there is that couch to go sleep on or right. that spare bedroom that you can stay in right. um, because that's that's a real gift. Yeah. And I think, you know, I don't think it's, it's a huge trend, but I think there is a trend in, in terms of um, uh, n- new housing communities that, you know, there, is a, there was a, has been a big trend in 50 plus communities and gated communities and so forth. And I think that at least, you know, there's a growing number of examples of intentional multi-generational communities where, you know, uh, I guess you have to make the choice to live there, but but people recognize that there are certain advantages to older couples and younger families living in the same, well, it could be a, you know, closed community, but but that there are things that they can offer each other, you know, the, the, uh, the younger people can help around the house for the older generation and, and do errands for them. And the older generation can guess what babysit their kids, <laughs> you know, that sort of thing. So I think there is a recognition that there, there can be an intentional recreation of our old, you know, our traditional communities. We've had an opportunity to work with a few developers on what the community of the future looks like. Hmm. And it's been really interesting because um, at least one of those developers was one of the first developers of senior-only leisure world type of communities. And what they realize is that the trend is changing, that people don't want to escape into this sort of fantasy second childhood. What they want to do is still be engaged in community. They want to feel relevant. They want to be around other generations. And so they are developing communities that have houses that are are built for multi-generational families, but also communities that have everything from a small cottage to a large home, to a townhouse, to an apartment, to care, so that people can live their entire life in in a community and that they can be around multiple generations because it really does does enhance life. And I, I sometimes get pushback, Ron, because I am not a fan of senior-only communities. Mm-hmm. I don't think that they're healthy. Uh, and people will push back and say, well, but people should have a choice. You know, they should live, be able to live only with other older adults if they want to. And I do agree that there should be choice. But when you think about some things that we don't have choice in because it's been proven to not be healthy for us, you know, we don't drive, get in a car and not hook up our seatbelt. Mm-hmm. We don't get in a car after we've had a couple of drinks. And there are a few things that we don't do because it's been proven to be unhealthy. And I do believe that the health benefits, the mental health benefits of generations being together outweigh uh, what some people think is their bubble, their, their isolated age, older age only bubble. Right. And I think you're even seeing this trend um, in, in senior centers, right, where people recognize. So there's a certain advantage to having a certain cohort you know, who may have some physical limitations um, and they may have certain similar needs. Um, I mean, there are a lot of centers, you know, sort of congregate meals. So, so, that's a, so there are certain functions that make sense. But increasingly, I also see, and recently I had um, 
um, a longtime executive director of a senior center, um, talk about her programs. And one of the, the popular programs is intergenerational programs where um, children come in and uh, engage in sometimes interesting um, conversations about sometimes it's like what their images of older people, uh, but they get to also sort of see what it looks like to get older as opposed to having stereotypes on TV. So I think that that's, you know, an increasingly um, uh, valuable experience for both older and younger. Um, and now as, uh, along those same lines, you know, you've, you're very active, your organization's very active with intergenerational spaces, you know, so it's not necessarily people living there, but basically inhabiting different generations, inhabiting uh, similar locations or campuses. Talk a bit about that, if you will. We call those intergenerational shared sites. Mm-hmm. And you're, you're right that many senior centers are transitioning to be intergenerational centers, and some communities are only building intergenerational centers as opposed to senior centers. And we advocate for shared sites, and those vary from just co-locating adult daycare with a child care center to a senior living community that has either college students living on, on the same campus, or they may have a school on the campus. Uh, it could be a school that has a senior center embedded in it. So it's using space to connect generations rather than separate the generations. It saves dollars while making sense. When you think about communities that can't afford a lot of footprint and a lot of, of, of expense, but it also makes it so much easier for the generations to connect with each other and be used to seeing each other. So they may have time alone with their age cohort, and then they have time where they're all together. Um, but one of my, an example I always like to point out is in Swampscott, Massachusetts, mm-hmm. where the community had a choice of either replacing a hundred year old senior center or a hundred year old high school. And rather than fight about it, which a lot of communities would do, they combined their resources and they built the Swampscott High School and Senior Center. Wow. And the model really works well uh, in terms of when their library was going to be closed down because of a budget shortfall, the older adults came forward and said, train us. We'll keep the library open two days a week that you'd normally be closed. And so they did. And the older adults loved it, and they, they loved working there. But can you imagine? They wouldn't have driven across town. They wouldn't have thought about them as those, their kids had they not been there with them. So we see just organic um, community and organic involvement, uh, as well as some of the planned activities that need to pl- take place in those shared spaces. Right, right. Yeah, I know that, you know, obviously, you know, uh, we tend to be a society focused on the future in terms of our kids. Um, but the reality is that, you know, that um, generations are having fewer kids uh, while at the same time we're living older. So society, in spite of our youth-oriented advertising, um, is getting older, and but remaining uh, in the workplace and, and working longer and, and doing better health-wise. So we're getting older as a society. And I think that, and so I think it's important just to recognize certain realities that and efficiencies, as you pointed out. I, I noted here um, on Long Island, there was a, one example of a, so there was a, a sort of example that you gave of, of um, uh, one of our communities here where the an elementary school was going to close. It was like, you know, we don't really need this. 
And it took some work, but a, a very creative um, a housing uh, uh, expert in our area, who was an expert in affordable housing, figured out all the mechanisms, you know, logistically in terms of regulations and zoning requirements and variances. So what was eventually done was that he, it was changed into, it was, I think it's called the landmark on Main Street, where basically mm-hmm. now it's, it, it has some affordable housing for seniors. It has a daycare center and it has an auditorium where they put on productions of, of various, various kinds of, you know, dramatic productions and concerts. And then it's also located across the street from the library, which has all the programs. So, you know, it was a very interesting and creative solution um, that that served several generations, but it was not easy. It took him several years to work through all the regulations and, and zoning requirements, because that's, that's what we've done. We've created these structures ostensibly to protect our community interests, but in some cases, you know, works against our interests because it prevents you know, creative progress. You're so right. We've made it more difficult than it should be. Um, and we have a couple of reports that we've done on intergenerational shared sites. And that's one thing we talk about is we need to make sure that we're enabling and making it easier and not more difficult for people to do what makes sense, but also what has a better environmental impact when you think about the footprint in a community. Right, right. Great. Okay. So we're going to take another short break. When we come back, uh, we're going to talk much more with Donna Butts, and we're going to talk about, we're going to you know, offer you some resources, give some more specifics about some of the programs that have been successful, and offer you an opportunity to find out more and get engaged in intergenerational activities in your community. So don't go anywhere. We'll be right back with Donna Butts. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. Do you want to hear a show about football? How about football moms? What if we told you that was just a start? Tune in for Double Down with Garrett and Mack. Audrey Garrett and Jeracy Mack are moms to some well-known NFL players. Sure, they'll talk football and raising their kids to achieve greatness, but they'll also talk about community and world issues, motherhood, news, and lifestyle topics. Listen in every Monday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have you checked out Teen Wealth Radio? It's a show for teens, their parents, and educators. Hosted by Brandy England, along with regular weekly contributors, Teen Wealth Radio will cover the topics that teens need to talk about. Plus, we discuss a book of the week and a movie of the week, and each show will offer a challenge to our teen listeners that they can share on our private Facebook group page. Be sure to tune in to Teen Wealth Radio, live every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific, on Voice America Variety. You're listening to 45 Forward. To reach Ron Roel or his guest on the program, please send an email to ron.roel at gmail.com. That's ron.roel at gmail.com. Now back to 45 Forward. Welcome back, folks, to 45 Forward, where we're talking with Donna Butts from Generations United. So, Donna, before the break, we were talking about um, several programs uh, and, and uh, 
I wanted if we could talk a little bit more about some of the, the programs of distinction that are that are recognized by Generations United each year. You know, communities, organizations from around the country that that have done really uh, distinctive work, and you honor them for their work. We do. We have uh, the programs of distinction designation, which is the the highest highest standard, the seal of approval for intergenerational programs. And those are all on our website with descriptions. It's a, a designation that's good for three years, and then they, they can be renewed. Uh, but those programs vary from whether it's a shared site that's co-located all the time to um, a program that occurs a couple of times a week. Uh, but they all have certain things in common uh, that, that mean that they're, they're high quality, uh, that they've been... Uh, evaluated, they engage their community, um, there's training for staff, there's training for volunteers, there's a number of factors. Uh, one of the programs that I, I really hold up often is the Geriatric Career Development Program. Hmm. And that's been going on for probably close to 15 years now uh, in, uh, in, in New York. Um, uh, Jewish Home Life is the, the host and it's a program where the high school students who are in really underserved areas take part in a two-year program where they learn about healthcare professions at the home. Mm-hmm. And they, they select an older adult who's a resident as a mentor. And then they go through classes. They take their high school classes there. They, they learn from people who are in, in healthcare professions. And their success rate's phenomenal. 100% of the young people who graduated uh, this last year went on to college or trade school. Wow. Uh, and they, the young people will talk about the difference it made in their lives, the things that they never thought about doing. And these are not your um, necessarily your uh, uh, teenagers that um, haven't had a little bit of difficulty in their life. Uh, you know, they're ones that have really had to, uh, to, to make it um, oftentimes on their own, and they've done it in this program the investment of the older adults really helps. So there's a number of really great programs of distinction, but I do want to mention two because sometimes people get overwhelmed by uh, an intergenerational program and they think, oh, I can't possibly start at that scale. Right. And what's important is to start where you are, use what you have, do what you can, as Arthur Ashe would say. So I wanted to share one other model, and that's a model sure. that will never get the program of distinction designation because it can't check all of the boxes because it's so small, but it's something that can be done by almost anybody. And that's a program that takes place in Chinook, Kansas, and it's called School Greeters. Hmm. And every Monday, older adults in that community show up at the local schools and they greet every child that comes into school that morning. Hi, how are you? Hope you have a wonderful day. It's so good to see you. You're going to do great today. And the children go into class and the older adults realize that that may be the first positive thing they heard that day. And after all the children are greeted, they go into the cafeteria, have a cup of coffee, talk about their day, and then they go on about their day. So it's a very simple, simple intervention. doesn't take much time, but the impact is tremendous. Right. Now, you have a number of resources and toolkits. You know, what, what kinds of things do you have you know, to help people who want to start programs, you know, sort of think about how to get started, how to, you know, gather resources, how to set up, set up things. I would encourage people to, to spend a little bit of time on the website because, mm-hmm. as you said, we have a number of resources. And one recently 
that was developed is a toolkit for how to do intergenerational programming in a senior housing project. Um, and that has a lot of good basic information. Uh, within the next month or so, our toolkit on how to create an intergenerational shared site is going to be up on our website. Okay. So that's uh, gu.org, right? gu.org. We try to right. keep it simple. Right. Uh, and then, but then there are more specific resources. Some of them are older, like our how to do an intergenerational environmental project. It's a little bit older, but the, the descriptions, the way to go about it are all still very relevant. We have a program database so people can search to see if there's something in their state or in their community. And if they have a program, I would encourage them to make sure that they let us know about it so we can add that to the program database. Uh, there are also in our, our weekly e-newsletter, which anyone is welcome to sign up for, it's called Generations This Week or GTW. Mm -hmm. We have a cool idea section. We have a spotlight that we shine on programs. So it's sort of the, the regular weekly update and upbeat um, news about the intergenerational world. So I'd encourage people to sign up for that. And then, of course, we do webinars and um, all sorts of, of uh, uh, programs for people. And then this June is our virtual biennial global conference. Uh, and again, I would encourage people to connect in with other people who are thinking about this kind of work learn, share, create community, because that keeps us all going. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Now, can anyone um, attend the conference or do you have, to, you have to, I assume you have to register and there may be individual versus organizational um, registration? Well, we tried to keep the registration really low this year. So the, it's $150 for the registration. Um, there will be a scholarship fund for mm -hmm. people who have who, who that would be a difficulty for, and then a lot of the content will be available. Um, so the, there's the global conference in June, um, but as I mentioned, if people sign up for Generations this week, then you'll get the alerts about the webinars that we do provide. Those are all all free, and they engage right. experts in the field uh, on various topics to to teach and talk about their models. Right, right. What what do you see going forward? Donna, in terms of, are there things, uh, trends, you know, things you want to do going forward, areas which you have just started working on or you would like to work on and sort of breaking new ground in intergenerational collaboration? I think there's a there's so much, Ron. I think people are really aware. One of the things that, um, that we're really thinking about and looking at is the need for more intergenerational dialogues. Mm there really needs to be more community conversation that takes place between and among generations. And in particular, when you think about the unrest and the race equity issues that our country is facing now, we need to be having those conversations with each other. And one of the, I think one of the most important reasons is because our country has a demographic change underway. As you know, the population is aging, but that's not the only change that's occurring those older adults are more likely to be white than young people under the age of six. They're more likely to be of color. So if we don't start integrating and connecting generations now, we're going to have an even more segregated society. Uh, and I think that would be extremely harmful. So we're really interested in the community dialogues and promoting those and encouraging people uh, in, in, in that way. We do think that um, intergenerational use of space 
is a trend that people are interested in. We need to make it easier to make sure that if you're thinking about building a new park, you think about how it's going to be accessible to everyone. If you're thinking about how you redevelop a downtown like you were talking about, that there's that square, that uh, that community square, that gathering place that has buildings for young, for old, um, for the arts, uh, for, uh, for study, uh, so that we can engage older and younger. And we need to make sure, because it's really true, that if you build it, they will not come. So if you're thinking about building it, make sure that, you're, that younger and older voices are heard, that they're not tokens, but they're heard and they're a part of the vision and thinking through that development and how to actually intergenerationalize it and actualize it. Right. Yeah, this, this whole issue of uh, conversation, uh, genuine conversation, I think, is cutting across all demographics and, and cultural issues and political issues. And I think that, you know, that's one of the, the great ironies of all our social media, you know, and all our so-called connecting is that you really need to sort of break that out and figure out how to get into you know, people's homes and get into their communities. Uh, I noticed that, you know, one of the um, interesting shifts has been, uh, well, not so much shift, but just uh, elaboration of, of an aging in place movement, uh, which is, you know, people recognizing that as people get older, it's often more efficient if you can provide them services that they can age in their own homes where they're comfortable and so forth. Uh, but I think people are realizing that what they need is aging in community which is they need that connection to the community because uh, what happens, um, unfortunately, is you get older, you often, you know, your family moves away or you lose family and you're aging in isolation, <laughs> uh, which is not, not good for anybody. And so I think this, you know, connecting, um, you know, intergenerationally through our community and finding ways to do that is really a key, you know, and, and I think people are, you know, again, they're, I think they're craving that sense of community today. You know, I think that, um, you know, um, um, uh, you know, they, we're almost too mobile and we're too caught up in our, in our careers. And I think there is a feeling, and I think some of the, you know, that some of the, the positive side, if you can say so, of the pandemic is that people have realized the importance of this kind of connection. Um, so I think hopefully that's something that continues. Um, and, um, you know, that, that, you know, but I think it, it, it does, I think you do have to get to the, um, you know, people, the government officials, whether it's local government, small government, larger government, I think they need to be on board. So I think that advocacy efforts are, are still important. And I know you guys are still, we, we talked about that earlier, but, so are, are there things that are coming up in Congress that you're, that you're focused on in terms of legislation, advocacy, or, or policymaking? Oh, there are. There are, Ron. But what you just made me think about, and I think especially because it's International Women's Day, yeah, um, yeah. as we were, as, as you were talking, is I think about two wise women that I've known, although I've known many, but the two that stood out as you were talking is one was a foster grandmother who said to me once, she didn't live near her grandchildren, and she said, what's important is to care where you are. Mm-hmm. care where you are. Uh, it can be your grand friend, not your grandchild, but you're going to be as important in that child's life as anybody. And then the other was a woman I had such respect for, Kath- Mary Catherine Bateson, 
an anthropologist, and what she would always say is, if you don't have somebody younger in your life, find them. If you don't have somebody older in your life, find them. It's that individual piece that you can do. So there's, there's those sort of two ind- individual stories. And then when you think about policy in D.C., what we're really watching right now are these opportunities in the Older Americans Act that elevate uh, intergenerational shared sites and the opportunity uh, for multi-generational programming. I think that's really important. Uh, and then I think any discussions about service need to realize that people can be involved in national service at any age. And let's make sure that that's going to be open for people of all ages, not just younger people in AmeriCorps, but older people in AmeriCorps as well, how we can make sure that everyone is engaged. So there are a number of opportunities that I think uh, that we have, whether it's at the federal, state, or local level, but it's up to all of us to make sure that we keep that intergenerational perspective and lens on the solutions that we're putting out there. Wow, this hour has gone very quickly, and um, we just have a couple more minutes. Um, so I just wanted to um, uh, thank you for being a terrific guest, um, and I'm planning to have you back where we can dive down deeper into some of these programs. Um, well, thank, thank you, Ron. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, I, I, so we'll have you back. Um, uh, in the meantime, if you want to find out more about Donna, uh, you can go to my website, RoelResources.com and click on the 45 forward tab and you'll get more information about her and her background and her program. Um, you can also encourage your friends to listen to this, this uh, program. It's, it, you'll, you can hear it as a podcast afterwards and either going to the voiceamerica.com site or my site uh, and listen to it. Um, Donna, if people have questions, uh, how should they get in touch with you or your staff? I think the easiest way is, because we are working remotely right now, is to contact us at gu at gu.org. Okay. Um, and it's on our, our website. Look at our website, but contact us and you know get a hold of us that way. Um, because that way, if I'm not available, there's somebody on staff that would be able to help you. Right. Um, but we're there. Our goal is really to infuse intergenerational programs and policies everywhere we can. Right. And in addition to the conference, are there other kinds of events or webinars that you, that are coming up that you think are of particular interest to our audience? Well, we're releasing our multi-generational family report at an event, a virtual event that's free on April 1st. Okay. And they can find that on our website. Um, the toolkit on intergenerational shared sites will be available there soon as well. So I would check the website, get GTW or the best spots. Great. Okay. Well, thank you again. Uh, Folks, be sure to join me next Monday at 12 noon Pacific and 3 p.m. Eastern when I'll be talking with Susan Caperso and Lisa Strauss-Lorenz. We'll be talking about an important kind of, another kind of intergenerational topic, which is how do we care for our older loved ones as they reach the end of their life's journey and how can we experience with grace and dignity? So, It's going to be a fascinating conversation. You won't want to miss it. Until then, keep moving forward, 45 forward. Thank you for tuning in to 45 Forward. Please join your host, Ron Roel, for another great show next Monday at 12 noon Pacific Time and 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We wish you a great week. 